Hey Rebels, what is it about Baby Yoda and the new Star Wars Mandalorian series that has everyone buzzing? In the last few weeks, it's been an inescapable barrage of Baby Yoda memes and references to this new show. I've invited Shay Rucker onto this week's episode to discuss all things Mandalorian, Star Wars, and Disney+. Plus. Shay, welcome to the show. Thanks again for having me, man. How's it going? Good, good. I'm uh, I'm kind of stoked that you brought me on to talk about Star Wars instead of uh, some more professional stuff, but uh, I'm always happy to geek out about this. Well, we're going to stay very professional on the very front end of the podcast. I want to crack our beer for today first because I think we're going to forget to talk about it if we get too involved into Star Wars. I was going to say, I think last time I was on, it was like we really went into stuff and I'm like, oh, we got to drink beer too. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> So today's beer is the Raspberry Sour Smoothie, 4.5% ABV. It's the latest in our Sour Series beers. And unfortunately for me, this one has lactose, so I'm going to vicariously live through you and rely entirely on your expertise in describing this beer. All right, bottoms up. Ooh, I like that. You know I'm a huge fan of sours, especially the ones you guys put out, so... I didn't know you were a big sours guy. You know, I, I like beer. I like, um, I usually don't not like a beer, you know, if, if that makes any sense. Um, but sours are something that very few people do. And uh, you guys not only do them, whereas other people don't, but you do them really well. You have awesome flavors. And um, it's a little embarrassing, but one of my favorite sours that you guys had was the Dino Sour Special. Where you, I, What was the, the main ingredient in that one? Which sour? You know, I can't even remember. I just know we did it with Scotty the Dinosaur from the, the RSM Museum. Mm, oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's just a tribute to Scotty. Well, that was that was simple where you took uh, one of your sours, which was already delicious, and you stuck a couple of <laughs> dinosaurs in it. Uh, and, yeah, but I, I like this one, uh, the raspberry, and, you know, it's it's smooth, and it, it it's like a Christmas one, even though I usually think of sours as being a summertime thing. Um this just really hits home. I, I, I would say, I can't judge them, but I'd say top three sours you guys have put out for sure. Oh, thanks, man. I think they keep getting better, so I'm always excited whenever you get a new one in. Our guys were saying this is probably one of the better sours we've ever done because we're figuring out what works well and what works nice. Well, is it difficult to make sours? I think it's difficult to make sours well. I think there's a lot of variables, and if you don't know what you're doing you could really screw it up i think um one reason why rebellion is so special is because you don't do things that are easy you want to experiment and try new flavors and have different brewing techniques that are just kick-ass and stellar and uh you don't shy away from a challenge well thanks man would you recommend this beer to a friend uh I want to say yeah, but then more people will buy it and it'll sell out before I get the chance to. But in, in all seriously, yeah, like this is this is awesome. If you guys have never had a sour before, this is a really good jumping off point. Not too tart, and I think that turns a lot of people off. But I, really, I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah. It, just the tartness in general. A lot of people are like, oh, that's too sour, or they hear the word sour and oh, I don't like sour things. Well, chances are you're gonna like this anyway. I know we packaged over uh, 200 flats of this beer. Which, in the grand scheme of things, 200 flats isn't that much. Especially when I'm buying 10 of those flats, right? <laughs> exactly. 
But Stephanie said that this morning, uh, as of this recording, she had one flat left. And it just has sold so quickly. Boom. Yeah. No, it's 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 crazy. I um I went and usually I'll buy one, but because of the uh, blueberry sour that you guys had, it sold out right away. I had to buy two packs of that right away. The and, blackberry? Yes. Sorry, the blackberry, yeah. Because that was the one we did before this. Correct, yep. And I think it was blackberry smoothie too, so you had that that smoothiness as well. So and it really cut the tartness. I, I love it. I, it's awesome. That's the lactose. Is which, it the lactose? Which is the bane of my existence. I'm really sorry. You got to like, at some point, just, can't you just get over it? Like, just try, you know? Have you have you tried yet? Yeah, I oh. tried the blackberry once, yeah. and I, I only had like two, two to five sips, and I was hurting. Yeah. Hurting unit. But at least you got the flavor, you know? <laughs> Because of me, Mark said they're going to try and do a different technique instead of using lactose to create creamy beers and retain the some of the nice qualities that lactose gives to the beer without lactose. And that just goes to my further point where you're going to try to do something different and try, try something that's a little more of a challenge. Um, and you're not the only lactose intolerant person. You know, you're not even the one I know, right? So, Well, there we go. Mandalorian time. What are your initial thoughts about the show, The Mandalorian? Um, well, I love it. First of all, I think it's uh, it's going back to what the form of Star Wars was, which is taking uh, the pulpy side of Star Wars and these individual stories and the expanded universe. And actually, I did bring something that I wanted you to take a look at, and I uh, didn't show you before we went live on air. So okay, okay. So he's reaching into his bag. He's got a grin on his face. Dude, it's the uh, revised core rulebook for Star Wars, for uh, the Star Wars RPG. Is this 4.5? No, that was actually the uh, last D20 one that they put out. And this is the same rule set that they used for the Star Wars Old Republic, which is considered the best expanded fiction. And I think uh, what I was thinking of is John Favreau who is the head of Mandalorian. He's the, you know, one of the main writers and uh, director of, I think the first two episodes, I'm not entirely sure. Um, he's a dork, right? He created Iron Man. He's the one who kickstarted the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is a nerd. And I'm pretty sure if you were to look and, you know, think of how he came up with some of these stories or the general concept, he probably played the Star Wars RPG. Do you think? Absolutely, because there's monsters in it you know it's it, it goes back to being not just a space opera okay well if you want to fanboy over john favreau for a moment i think he is one of the guys that's operating within the big machine and being successful at honoring my childhood and the movies and the shows that i grew up with and the stories that i want to read and consume as an adult uh, I think it's easy for the money-grubbing, greedy goobers to step in there and really ruin something by saying, oh, you you should add these notes that I've made, but I don't really understand the universe, and I don't really understand the material. I just have more money than you. Whereas Favreau can say, I made Iron Man. I'm writing episodes for this content, and he seems to genuinely care about it. Maybe I'm heaping overly amounts of praise, but I think he's he's the guy that I would trust to adapt 
the content and shows that I loved as a kid. I really think you hit the nail on the head there because he he is writing it for the fan and so many fans are excited, happy with what he's done and it's resonating. I, I remember when the first episode came out, everyone was saying, oh, this is the return to form. This is awesome. This is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted on new Star Wars. And then there were some people saying, well, it's one episode, you know, temper your expectations. And uh, there's no detractors three more episodes in. And I know you're you're up to the third. You haven't seen the fourth one yet. Yeah, I binge watched the first three, and my little guy was freaking out, like he, a good freak out. He loves it. Yeah. He's like, "Oh my god, we need to watch the next one right now." I'm like, "Sorry, bud, it's bedtime. We'll have mm. to wait till tomorrow." And he's yeah. like, "No." <laughs> yeah, it's. Oh, uh, well, what'd you think? You know, I loved it. It was everything I could have wanted in a Star Wars property. I have zero complaints. Mm-hmm. The the murderous row of actors Werner Herzog when he came on the show and just you hear his voice and he's got that natural menace in it this is Dr. Pershing please excuse his lack of decorum his enthusiasm outweighs his discretion you just I'm like I this is it he's the best thing about this whole show and then there's Carl Weathers and I'm like that's freaking carl weathers man that's like predator he's like you got no style that you know that come on why'd you pass all those action movies i was watching as a little kid carl weathers and then i was watching and i'm like why do i know this voice why do i know this character's voice and i'm i google it up it's like, oh it's nick nolte and he's mm-hmm. one of the characters and then the the geekiest part for me was when the taxi driver pulled up and it was brian Posehn. right I don't know if you've ever heard any of his comedy specials where he's talking about Star Wars. And she turns and looks at the Blu-ray display and just rolls her eyes because she is so sick of hearing the word star next to the word wars. And then what comes out of my mouth afterwards because it's my Vietnam. He's possibly a bigger Star Wars nerd than anyone else I know. Well, and Brian Hussein is one of the guys who is often on celebrity D&D panels. Um, And getting that nerdiness to intersect and having people who are excited about the product come in and actually work on, you know, whatever you're trying to create is, that's the next level. And that's what brings it to that level. You need to check out his comedy special where he's talking about Star Wars. I haven't uh, checked out his comedy special, mostly the, the skits that he's written and acted in. But yeah, uh, that's uh, that's definitely one. I love his like his dry voice, but he does have a range too. Yeah, it's it's so good. I'm gonna splice in some audio for the show mm-hmm. just to give people a taste of what he's all about. Well, so you were saying the best part of the show. You named everyone except for the Mandalorian himself, and I think. Well, the funny thing is I haven't even seen his face yet. It's Pedro Pascal. Exactly. And for me, he played Oberyn Martell, Game of Thrones. It was super deadly. I was really happy, but I still haven't seen his face. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the limiting factors of The Mandalorian. You do. You can't see his face. Um, I think that makes a really good character. Um, One thing that came to mind is the the last Dread that came out with uh, Carl Urban as Judge Dread, And he didn't show his face in that entire movie. His uh, mask didn't come off or his helmet, whatever. Um, And a lot of people said, well, do you want to do this? Like, that's not going to be good for your credibility. And he goes, dude, I'm playing Judge Dredd. I'm badass. I, of course I want to do this. And it was an awesome movie because of that. 
Well, uh, that's one of the things I felt was a departure from the Mandalorians being depicted in Star Wars because we know Sabine Wren and a few of the other ones show their faces all the time. They don't wear their helmets all the time. I don't know why they've gone in that direction specifically to make it a canon rule that they don't show their faces. I'm not mad about it. It's just something that's different. I think it goes into explaining uh, Boba Fett a little more and how he was so stoic and um, nonverbal and still badass. You know, he has that, like stormtroopers, where they always had their helmets on, but they were faceless soldiers. It's different when you're a Mandalorian and they, you know, have it for different reasons. Uh, I don't know. I've never felt George Lucas was the strongest writer. I think that a lot of what saved him was his wife in the post-production editorial process. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched documentaries where they talk about how his wife basically rewrote the ending to Star I Wars. I didn't know that, actually. It's fantastic, and she's brilliant. Well, thank, thankfully <laughs> she did that because the you're talking the, the first trilogy, right? Yes. Yeah. What we would consider to be New Hope, number four. Well, this this kind of goes into one of the reasons why I brought this book, and uh, one thing we wanted to talk about a little more is the expanded fiction, uh, because the expanded fiction there's no rule book for it. Um, it's what people have taken and done interpretations of, and then what, at the time, the the people who are the head of the Star Wars brand deemed as yeah okay this makes sense. Um, so they explained things like Yoda's race, for instance, and species, and we'll talk about that, or uh, what the history of the Mandalorian race is, including their warlike uh, history and how they're so good at being bounty hunters and mercenaries, uh, and that goes back years and years and years. Even the the skull, right? The Mandalorian skull, that's a symbol. I actually saw a guy at the gym, had a really badass Mandalorian tattoo, and I go, dude, nice Mando tattoo. And he, Oh, you know what that is? I'm like, yeah, man, you know, this is like our secret code. <laughs> it was your shibboleth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I look at what happened with the Canon stuff, when it, when Disney first announced they were purchasing all the star Wars stuff and they threw out 30 to 40 years worth of Canon, which was all the books and expanded universe. I was a little bit annoyed. But then I was like, well, I guess they want to have a, cleaner let emptier sandbox to play in fine but then when you hear um last week kathleen kennedy she's saying she's the president of lucasfilm and she goes well these movies are hard to write because there's there's no material to draw upon it's like why why are you in charge you at least had a good laugh about that though right at the absurdity of that statement i think i slapped my head harder than i laughed I, i was so annoyed i'm a fanboy of course but it's like don't kid yourself there's plenty of great characters and material that is sitting on shelves. To be fair, there's plenty of not great material in the what's now considered the Legends, but there was more good than bad. Legends universe was, content was just thrown out. It, it, it is still Legends, but it's not canon, so it's just something extra. Like They, they basically made it fan fiction, you know, official fan fiction. <laughs> uh, the one thing that they I really wanted them to adapt at any point and hopefully they go back to this or at least use the framework that it's set is the old republic uh setting which is set 4000 years before any of the movies you're talking about knights of the old republic uh the old republic era in general so um it was around a little bit before knights of the old republic if i'm not mistaken uh but it just really catapulted it into being this new era that people were talking about you're saying when you're talking about the things like the Jedi were ascendant and powerful and not 
one or two left. And it, it really expanded upon what it meant to be a Jedi and this large monastic order that we saw a little bit of in the Phantom Menace and before the fall, uh, where Anakin basically killed off all the younglings. <laughs> uh, and it, it gives a, a new outlook on exactly what it meant to be a Jedi or a Sith. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with us. Like, let's go. I'll watch the heck out of that. I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars geek. Shamelessly, I'll consume it all. Um, I'll never want to miss a movie, but I, I'm not so deluded that I can say, well, that movie kind of sucked. There were problems with that movie or problems with that show. It's I Star Wars. Know. It's fun. <laughs> the nice thing about Mandalorian is I can say, so far, I am happy with it, and I have no real complaints. Well, they're not rehashing anything now. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of people um, gave uh, the newest movie, uh, or sorry, uh, number seven. Um, and you can even do a side-by-side comparison. And a lot of people have um, in terms of the story beats and all the characters. Pull that shit up, Jamie. Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. See, it, it's so unforgettable that... Force Awakens, The Last Jedi from his nap. That's how I remember it. All I was thinking of is A New Hope because it is pretty much a carbon copy of A New Hope. But don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, one thing I didn't enjoy is the fact that they ripped off Basta Lashan, who is one of the main characters in Knights of the Old Republic, and gave that whole look, including the bow staff, to Rey. But they didn't expand upon that and kind of create a character as cool as Basta Lashan was. But going back to The Mandalorian, almost every episode is a different setting and different situation. And I know you haven't seen the fourth one. I don't want to spoil it. But I will say it's Seven Samurai. And, I understand that. Yeah, and, and that's going back to the roots where Lucas was a huge fan of both Westerns uh, and pulp movies. And I guess, you know, the Samurai films as well, which that's where Westerns took a lot of their beats from. Sure. Uh, when you look at C-3PO and R2-D2 walking in the desert. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. He stole that directly from an old samurai movie. Uh, the Hidden Fortress. Shot for shot. Almost, uh, well, I'd say probably 75% of that movie is stolen from Hidden Fortress or borrowed as a better term. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's great when it brings, because I'm a huge Kurosawa fan. And I think it's great that we have these homages that bring people to that. Because I didn't know who Kurosawa was until I read a little bit more about that history and then started watching those old films. Um, and, and the fact that The Mandalorian is bringing that back to what George Lucas had the original intent to have homages to. <laughs> One of the thoughts that I had in my mind, and maybe you'll disagree or agree, it felt like watching a Tarantino movie but the characters weren't self-aware. Whereas Tarantino's characters feel self-aware. They know they're in a Tarantino movie. Are you saying that because the dialogue is actually written well and not like George Lucas would? <laughs> uh, burn. <laughs> well, it's a burn, but it's the truth. I think when you go back to Kill Bill and you rewatch Kill Bill 1 and 2, they're kind of cheeky and winking at the screen. They're self-aware. But when you're watching The Mandalorian, outside of Brian Posehn, it they're not aware they're in a spaghetti western sci-fi space movie they're they're in it you're you're immersed i think uh 
I think one of the best parts about that, including the tongue in cheek, the first episode has more of these than the uh, later episodes do, but the really old school screen wipes and transitions. And that is so old school 70s filmmaking, especially Star Wars. He, you know, his liberal use of the swipes and the zoom ins and the circular transitions. So that is awesome in itself. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was noticing all those little fine attention to details. And it just feels like John Favreau's fingerprints are on it. When you're watching the final credits and he's showing you the, the artwork, mm-hmm. which looks like it was basically for the filmmakers to kind of have a reference to, uh, to big, massive scenes. Uh, I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen season one. Spoiler alert. When Mando reaches out with his finger and little baby Yoda sticks his finger up, that was painted into that scene. And I just... I just loved it. I didn't even notice that. Um, and it's unfortunate. I'll probably go back and watch those now. But uh, I was watching this uh, with my wife. And it was uh, a situation where after the episode's done, I turned to her and we're excitedly talking about all the cool stuff. And then, you know, let's go to Baby Yoda here because we were talking about how cool Baby Yoda was in every single episode. I hope I don't burn out on Baby Yoda. <sighs> Is is that even possible at this point? I, I, I know it is, knock on wood. Um, but I think they're doing a lot of really good things with them. Now, now here's uh, something else I want to touch on too, is the practical effects and the blurring of the line where I don't know when he's a puppet and when he's not a puppet. I think when he is CG, they're actually moving him like a puppet would move. And it's still giving that realistic aspect. It's giving that old school Star Wars feel. They're using a lot more... Um, puppets and practical effects in all these films uh the first firefight in the first episode so many practical explosions i thought it was cg all the way through i wasn't under the impression they were using puppets are you talking for baby yoda or for anything yeah for anything in general well the uh the the creatures they ride in the second episode there are definitely parts in there where that is cg but they actually use puppets or they they use something that is similar to puppets in terms of cg that fooled me uh, and I really appreciate that extra step, whether they're fooling me or whether they actually used puppets and prosthetics. If Baby Yoda was human, it would probably hit the uncanny valley for me. They, I mean, they've really jacked up his eyes, and his eyes to me are like huge glowing brown, like glassy orbs, but they're not dead. They look nice. It kind of reminds me of Gizmo from oh, yeah. the old Gremlin movies. Okay, yeah. That's where I feel they're kind of, they're not stealing that concept, but Gizmo was clearly a puppet. And when I look at Baby Yoda, to me, it's like, that is some fine CGI. It doesn't offend me or hit that creepy, uncanny valley thing. It's not the uh, singing scene in Jabba's palace and the the redux. (laughs) Barf. Don't even get me started. It's just going to make me angry. (laughs) Um, So... Why are we calling him Baby Yoda? Because we don't know what the species is, and he doesn't have a name, I think. I think that's interesting whenever you look at uh, the credits or, or or anything about a synopsis. They always call him the child. And yeah. just the fact that there's this expanded lore that hasn't even touched on what Yoda's race is, uh, because there's so few of them. You know, they, they, they go back all the way to the Old Republic, and uh, there were two in the films, including Yoda. Um do you want them to explore Yoda's species or are you happy to leave it vague as Lucas intended? I think Star Wars is best 
you know, much like a fantasy instead of a sci-fi situation where the less you explain, the better. I don't want any midichlorians. Midichlorians are the worst. I, I retcon that out of my brain. It's the stupidest explanation ever. Do you know what the force is? It's space magic, and that's cool. I can dig it. <laughs> space magic. Yeah, we, we were sitting around the table with my buddies, and uh, we're arguing about how stupid midichlorians are. Like, why even bother? Just let it be. And now that we have Baby Yoda with space magic doing his little finger wave thing, I'm... Well, and, you know, what was Obi-Wan Kenobi referred to as in the first movie? That old wizard in the mountains. Oh. And that's because he was a magician. He did magic. It was knights and wizards and monsters and uh, the rancor is a dragon. You know, they go and they fight a dragon. And when he is fighting creatures in the Mandalorian, he is off on an adventure fighting monsters. He has a quest to do. He goes off and he does it and he has an adventure. I love that you've drawn that all together i i hadn't thought about it that way but now that you pointed out i'm like oh yeah i guess so and that's why i brought this book right and we can look through it a little more later but everything about this is very fantasy right it's it's lord of the rings it's uh the dark crystal it's this new world where you're exploring things that are alien and exciting and new we're not uh spending half an episode in the senate doing politics Right. This is going back to what Star Wars should be about, which is less of a soap opera, more of a fantasy. I guess the last thing I wanted to bug you about was the inevitability of Disney Plus. Um, are you saying that is a bad thing or? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I know that everyone's always looking at uh, Disney as these overlords that don't have anyone's uh, best interest at heart. And I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, there's some stuff that I'm not super happy with what they're doing especially in uh, Star Wars but the fact that they've still given someone like John Favreau an opportunity to do something so awesome you know maybe maybe there's merit in that I really hope that because of guys like John Favreau Disney can get the message that this is the kind of content that's worth producing and to get rid of guys like Ryan Johnson who are ruining my childhood <laughs> do you think that uh, Ryan Johnson had more of a say in that I think he was given way too much authority on the movies and he was given this easy template to follow some mysteries to unravel some threads to pull. And then he's like, well, no, I'm just going to throw that all away and whatever raise parents. Nah, let's not answer that. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, we're not, we're just not going to address that. And he just went off on did his own stupid thing and it didn't flow with what had been set up and because it didn't flow it was a very frustrating thing yeah i still saw the movie and standalone it would have been a fine movie but because it didn't flow with what had been set up before it was frustrating so now i'm hoping with the final movie number nine i hope they can wrap it all together and unscrew up what he screwed up i, I dislike that they've given him so much authority and power and I don't feel like he gave a respectful treatment to something that this legion of fans has invested in. And maybe I'm speaking from the fanboy. Maybe I'm out to lunch and I'm just a privileged dude who's a Star Wars dork. But I don't think he treated the property with respect. You know, if we go back to the expanded fiction, uh, how many books and rights were given out to different authors and some made some amazing things. And some made some not so good books or 
fiction of any kind. And I feel like because of the rapid fire, you know, they're sending out Solo and Rogue One, um, and they're, they're creating all these properties, we're going to get some good and we're going to get some bad. And I think we should be thankful instead of cranky that we have those that good star wars we're not waiting 18 years for a movie that it was a little bit of stockholm syndrome for uh because that happened between both timelines uh and and more star wars is always a good thing even if uh we get some a couple of diamonds in the rough uh that we got to sift through to get to that's very magnanimous of you I, i i i like star wars it's always been a part of my childhood um and it's always been an important story to share with everyone. So I, 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 I want to be optimistic about it. Okay, I'm going to leave it on that high note because I think we could talk about Star Wars for another hour and still have more to say. So, Shay, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me again, man. Appreciate it. Rebels, thanks for listening today. As you know, the show was never intended to be a one-way conversation. You've given me something precious, your time. And what you have to say is important too. If you'd like to join the conversation and ask our guests more questions or leave a comment about an episode, join us on our brand new Facebook page. It's at Facebook and you just do a search for Rebellion Brewing Podcast. As you know, we're also an affiliate member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. And one of the things we want to do is showcase some of the other great content being produced right here in Saskatchewan. One of those shows is the Regina Pats podcast, hosted by Chris and Matt. Here's a clip. Denimies look good, I thought. Denim, yeah, yes. that was the other one I was thinking. Matt, his shot is yeah, really pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's nice to see some progress being made. You know, they were so close previously, they just couldn't get it done. And I, maybe, you know, with these new guys in here, it is nice to see them getting some wins. Absolutely. You can find full episodes of the Regina Pats podcast at whlpatscast.podbean.com. If you're into the Pats and local hockey, this is the podcast for you. I'm going to include links in the show notes so you can find more about them online. As always, if you want to find the latest news about Rebellion Brewing, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped. Thank you for joining the Rebellion.